Have you ever played any of the Fallout no. series? No. Have we talked about this before? I don't know. Let me see if I can find this because they have sort of a, um iconic opening um, okay. that starts like that. War. Well, welcome listeners to the Mind Virus show. It's uh, 52923, May 29th, 2023, the year of our Lord. Um I'm Jordan Bruno. Sitting across the table from me is Bobby Flood. He's looking something up on the internet. We had a very brief uh, moment here where we were trying to decide what to talk about, which today will probably be something to do with woke corporations shooting themselves in the foot and war (laughs) and the Book of Alma and conspiracies in the Book of Mormon, perhaps, if we get there. That's what's on my mind. There you go. Here's your introduction to the Fallout series. That's all you get for now. That goes on for. It just goes really slow. Let's it, it the picks up that way. Let's talk that way. But uh, let's that, just speak slowly. That, that is how we sound after you listen to us for a while on like one point seven speed, and then you put us on normal speed. It's like why are is, uh, these men <laughs> talking so slowly? Is 1.7 speed the optimal speed to listen to the Mind Virus show? Uh, I listen to most podcasts at 1.5, sometimes 1.7. I think any faster than it, it gets really hard to understand anything because that thing's kind of blended together. Yeah. <laughs> I don't listen to... you feel to... like you're in a rush, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Like I was sort of a side topic here, but I have like a subconscious undercurrent feeling of foreboding because I've been binge watching Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, yeah, that's so, a, I, so I'm like, I finished. That's a real thing that... But it's, it's in my psyche right now. I binge watched Breaking Bad a few years ago when it was still current. Yeah, it's old news now, isn't it? I think I made it through this, the third season and I, I quit because it, it was like, I was depressed. I was just like, I'd go down the street or, you know, go to, go to Walmart or the grocery store and I looking around going, everybody's, everyone I look at is criminal. <laughs> like, like, it was just like, I had this, like you said, this foreboding and I had to take a break and I never got back to it. I, I want to, because I've heard the end is 
spectacular. Well, and and I think the writing and the acting and the characters in that show are great. It's, it's got it's, one it's of the excellent it's got, storytelling. It's got one of the greatest hooks of all time. The opening scene of of the pilot episode where he's in the RV. Yeah, that is incredible movie making. It's just awesome. Yeah, and you would know. Uh, having uh, had some experience in that industry. But no, I, yeah, I, so the story for me is that I caught my daughter watching Better Call Saul. She was reviewing some of the episodes that started it off and it was hilarious. Great writing. Like if you've, if you've seen it or if you haven't seen it, one of the early episodes, Saul is in, or Jimmy McGill Mm -hmm. is involved with a couple of, con man skaters who they rip people off by um getting run over <laughs> anyway they ripped the, they tried to rip the wrong guy off it was this drug dealer so he takes him out to the desert and he's going to kill him and mcgill is negotiating their punishment with <laughs> this uh because he he ended up wrapped up in the whole thing right of course and it was also out in the desert and they decide not to kill him because he's an attorney and he wasn't really involved and hadn't insulted the 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 drug dealer's auntie so he, um, McGill is, ends up negotiating it down to one broken leg each. <laughs> it's just so dark and funny at the same time. Anyway, it got me hooked in the series. So then, and I hate getting stuck watching uh, a television series, especially when there's a lot of series, a lot of seasons, because. It's a huge investment in time, and I'm the type of person that I want to see this through to the end right, right now. I want to, I got to know the story. And these guys that write these shows and produce these shows, they are so expert at milking these stories on TV forever. I mean, you could do the whole thing in a couple hours, maybe two or three movie length mm-hmm. shows. You could tell most of it. You wouldn't quite get as good a character development. But yeah. you Te- could tell most of the story. Television has that that advantage. Where and it's can- a disadvantage, too, because, I mean, they're using it for just essentially marketing purposes. Right. They're just dragging it out. Right. But it does have the advantage in that you can, you can do side episodes, so to speak, like we get backstory or a little more development of a side character that it's hard to do in, say, a, a two- to three-hour movie in one sitting. Well, but, and that's, that's also when you know that they're running out of, uh, like they're just trying to right. lost stretch it. Yeah. Lost. I, I don't think anybody knew anything about the future of lost when they started the, this show. And it's like a whole, there's like two full seasons of just flashback episodes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I honestly think those writers were just sort of making that up as they went. Well, once they get popular, I mean, the, the world is their oyster. Is the, are the writers still it's on a strike? Candy shop. The Hollywood writers. Did they go on strike? They went on strike, and uh, dozens of people around the country noticed. There, there is so much media out there. We are awash in so much media that I, I, my theory is you can just wait till it's all out, and, and you, you can bury your head in the sand or, or, or hide in a bunker like I guess I tend to do. And you know, three years later, you find out there's two or three seasons of The Mandalorian, and you can watch them all at once. Yeah. You know, well, and and a lot of the entertainment people are. It's about a man and his car, a man and a DeLorean. (laughs) A lot of people are consuming unwritten, unscripted media. I mean, we mentioned a couple weeks ago the uh, the Wild RP 
that uh, people are engaged in the the Red Dead Redemption role play mm-hmm. servers, and that that's really fun entertainment. Well, you know what's huge? Critical Role. Critical Role is. It, big. Would you call that scripted or unscripted? It's kind of scripted. It's scripted in the sense that the dungeon master has a plan, but the player reactions and the interactions and the lines that they say the are unplanned. You know, those characters, those players come to the game with a character that has a right. a backstory and 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 a funny voice because I'm a little no mage that has fireballs and whatever. I but. guess I guess they did a live stream a couple of days ago and one of our family members got sucked into that. Well, it's it's ultimately the bottom line is is the same. It's all storytelling. It's all storytelling, whether it's critical role playing Dungeons and Dragons or if it's guys playing um, Red, Red Dead Redemption role play or if it's television or if it's movies. It's, it's all, all about story. It's all storytelling. Even, even sports, you know, we watch a lot of sports, we as Americans. That's storytelling. What, what do we end up saying about a game? Did you see that play? Did you see the, the block at the end of the game? Did you see the shot? It's storytelling. It's all human human drama mm-hmm. and uh, and that's your gladiatorial contest played out right you know, the, the ritual combat is played out right there in front of you on the gridiron or on the baseball field right or whatever right or those- uh, very much so the, the football is very reminiscent of of the gladiator battles because you got people getting knocked out and yeah dragged across the field the and- violence the you know, and, and everybody oohs and ahs when someone just gets depleted, you know, knocked mm-hmm. on their on their back and so yeah, it's the great human drama playing out and in, in different ways. Well, I feel kinda like um do you, have you ever had a dream where you got a ticket or you got you were running from the cops and then you wake up and you realize it was only a dream? I don't think I've had that dream. Uh I think a lot of people out there could identify with this. I mean, I've gotten a, t- a speeding ticket a couple of, one, maybe once. <laughs> a couple of maybe once ago? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I think a lot of people have had this experience where they have a, a dream that kind of goes bad. Mm-hmm. And then they wake up and it's like, oh, thank goodness that that was only a dream. But it takes a while before you can distance yourself from it because that, yeah, can that narrative is in your, in your psyche for a while. So that's what I feel like having wa- finished this series. <laughs> I found a, because I was watching it so late, I found a website that told me how to watch it in chronological order. So mm-hmm. I didn't have to go back or anything. Right. So I watched Better Call Saul to a certain point, then Breaking Bad, then the movie El Camino, and then the end of Better Call Saul. And these are tragedies. Right. This is tragic stuff. Right. So it's not, you know, it's not for kids. It's not for the, the faint-hearted. But I, yeah, I just feel this sense of foreboding. I'm just coming out of that. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, it's a very real thing with those, <laughs> with those shows. But. Uh, I kind of felt that way watching the Narcos series. Oh, I, didn't ever, I never watched that. You know what was really good, which I thought was actually better this the narrative the the overall big picture narrative was actually better was uh sons of anarchy yeah i've only Did seen see that? bits and pieces of that yeah that taken as a whole but that was one where there were plenty of side mm-hmm. shoot offs the breaking bad was mostly in service to the narrative i think most of the elements 
serve the narrative. Better Call Saul's stuff or, or the, the storyline and that that whole thing, most of that served that narrative also. And and you essentially have you're kind of comparing and contrasting the hubris of Walter White, the the chemistry teacher that begins cooking mm. meth, you know, he's he's got one there's sort of he has once i think what they're doing here is you have a character here that has he's teaching us something you know about hubris and unintended consequences and then jimmy jimmy mcgill uh who's saul goodman he you're sort of learning about innate whether we you know who we are really who are who are we really are we innately good or are we innately bad and can you can you do things that are seemingly bad but then show your innate goodness or what and what are the consequences of all that and then you've got sort of the uh, this jesse pinkman character the kid that walter white hooks up with and he he just is a tragic figure and and his the resolution to his story is kind of interesting it's told in the movie el camino but he's like kind of that innocent bystander that's caught up in the world you know he ends mm-hmm. up addicted to drugs and multiple times in rehab and uh he learns a lot but he every everything goes bad for him and it's not really his fault other than his uh essentially innocent proclivity to do drugs i mean you got it like like there there's a lot to talk about here you know drugs for example we can get on the case of the kids that get addicted, right? And yeah, we should try and keep them from getting addicted. But in the end, you know, is that as bad as, you know, premeditated murder, you know, mm-hmm. or, or willfully manipulating the situation, a situation to your advantage, taking a nation to war, um, stealing still in the retirements of bazillions of people, you know, the, the, the fact that a kid is addicted to drugs, it's kind of a, you know, definitely they hurt people, you know, they'll, they'll devolve into theft and lies. Well, you could even unravel. And violence in some cases. You could keep pulling that thread and unravel the whole thing to where the same people involved in the things you just mentioned are largely responsible for the massive drug problems in this country because they facilitate, as the series already mentioned, Narcos mm-hmm. kind of touches on, they facilitate the flooding of the streets of America with harmful, like really, really bad well, and this drugs. Is, this is well documented and most people don't want to touch this because they, it, you know, it's sort of, sort of understood now, especially in the movies that you can blame the CIA for drug trafficking or mm-hmm. Iran-Contra or whatever. But, you know, the more... The more genteel, uh, civilized element of the baby boomers doesn't want to admit that. You know, they don't. Well, right. that's not really proven or whatever. But eh, no, it's, it's pretty, pretty, it's pretty much. well proven that they were selling drugs into into uh, the United States. And, well, and helping manufacture the drugs in Colombia and Mexico and elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. It's it's a pretty much admit, admitted. I think the I think the CIA actually admitted to doing it in the '90s, and it was a big uproar in South Central LA. And then you've got nowadays it's it's the fentanyl invasion, which is pouring across the border. Yeah, 
and is really a deadly drug. Yeah. So, so there, yeah, there's a, as we've quoted in the past, uh, fight not against armies and navies, but evil men, spiritual, spiritual wickedness, wickedness in, in high, high places. places. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think that that's all part of it. Yeah. Uh, so what do you want to talk about today on this fine Memorial well, I mean, you, Day? You, you had mentioned being into the Target store. I thought that was important, but we, but there's also, uh, I want to talk a little bit about war. Uh, war. War. War never changes. And I got to be careful here because I could do, uh, I think I could do a couple hours on the Book of Alma just right off the cuff here. And I think it's really important. I mean, we quoted this a couple of, couple of weeks ago that, you know, Moroni says, well, I've seen your day. <laughs> yeah, you, I spent you some, guys, I spent some more time with Moroni than this week. And, it's, it's it's troubling. Bleak. It's troubling stuff. You know, talk about foreboding. And then you, you, I tried to look at it with some new eyes, and I don't like the new eyes I looked at it with. Well, well his father Mormon, <laughs> his father Mormon, I think is the most underrated figure in the book, and and he's very, he's kind of like John the Beloved, who refers to himself in the third person sometimes. He's like, well, that beloved disciple, da 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 da. Moroni or Mormon, the prophet the scholar the translator the compiler he the sober youth he saw some stuff he must have seen some stuff cuz repeatedly in the record they keep saying things like well we're only telling you the 100th part it's it's like looking at the book of mormon as a historical record with archaeological evidences or whatever that's kind of like saying that the doctrine and covenants is a history of america mhm right it's not Right. It's got the things they put in for specific reasons because you might need to see them. Right. Well, actually, the Doctrine and Covenants even do- doesn't even go that far. It's just more, it's more sort of the commandments or the, the doctrines of the early LDS church. But in the case of Mor- Mormon and Moroni and, and Nephi, they're like, well, I'm putting this in because, you know, and, and Nephi, Nephi tells about, you know, why he created that set of small plates, that doctrinal thesis on faith, repentance, baptism, and his, his family leaving the old world, um, and, and their recognition and acceptance of the true king of creation, the true Christ, you know, he, he kind of throws that together, and, and, and he cherishes it and saves it and passes it on, and then Mormon at the end is like, well, hey, this was really good, I'm going to just toss this in for an unknown reason, and then, um, but for the rest of the narrative, it's kind of like, he's like, well, we just can't tell you more than a hundredth part of this. And anyway, just know that this is for you guys that are going to find the record. We've seen your day. And, and Moroni is very clear on that. I've seen mm-hmm. your day. Jesus Christ hath shown you unto me, and I right. know your doings. Stuff right. like that. I think right. that's a pretty close paraphrase, if not a quote. Well, it's very specific, too. He's not saying things like, in case you happen to stumble upon this, he's not like. Please consider the advice herein. Well, it's and, like, and, and he's also not saying like, "Hey, uh, Bobby Flood, when you read this, just know that I've seen your neighbor's day. Right. I've seen the other people out there that aren't <laughs> listening to this, and they need to wake up." And I, he I doesn't say that. He's no, very clear as right. to who needs to wake and I, up. I've wondered about that recently too. <clears throat> you know, ne- Nephi describes first. We're talking about the first Nephi describes his kind of um what would you call that you've 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 had a term for sort of that 
panoramic epiphany where he sees the beginning from the end, that vision that Nephi has. The vision of all things? Yeah. And the big picture view? I would think in something like that. I mean, my brain immediately goes to like the movies, like seeing a movie, but I would assume or speculate that an experience like that enlightens the mind where you can see both the big picture like a zoomed out view, and then also have insights into the details, the minute details. And so when Moroni, who, I, who probably had the sim, a similar vision, says, I've seen you and I know your doings, he probably saw indivi- you, individuals. You, I, you. And, and I don't know if that means he saw like your entire life play out in every little detail, but I think he saw our predicament our, and, and the way that maybe we would react into these situ, in, in these situations, both collectively and individually. Maybe. Mm-hmm. But it's... it's uh, <coughs> sorry. Um, it, it's, a, it, it's a bleak situation, though, that they describe. And now, in fact, he calls it awful, an awful situation. Mm-hmm. And... That's us. We're living through the awful situation. Does that mean everything is awful? Everything is awful. Oh, sorry. That's not, uh, not how the song goes. Well, the, the most... But, the, go ahead. Well, finish finish Because, yeah, everything... Because it's an awful situation, but we're also... The counter to that is that there is an abundance of light and truth on the earth today. Mm-hmm. If you can find it. It's, yeah, you have to find it. It, uh, it's right there in front of your face, but you have to acknowledge it. Some of it's being shouted from the rooftops, and maybe because it, maybe it's shouted from the rooftops because uh, CNN, MSNBC, uh, ABC, CBS, Fox, whatever. None of these, none of these people are telling it on the news. <laughs> right? Maybe it's shouted on the rooftops because it's not said in the agora in the town square. If there's something that we should all acknowledge now, it's that every major news corporation is telling you lies 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They're all lying all the time. <laughs> yeah, and it's, they'll tell some truth, but uh, truth, truth coupled lie. with lie is lie. That's it, when they're trying to get you to do things that are contrary to goodness and your own self-interest, that's... And I'd argue lie. the same goes for everything you hear from the government and all of the apparatuses of the government, the various agencies and uh, uh, departments and, uh, you know, services. And I had a thought this, this week. Someone said something like, I've been, uh, I've been in government service my whole life or something. And I thought, can we stop calling government employees servants? <laughs> They're making like 150 grand a year. They're leeches. They, they live off the labor of others. They're not serving anybody. Like they've totally ruined that word. I can understand saying to someone in the military, "Thank you for your service." That's a, but even that's kind of it, like like the cops to protect and to serve. If you mean serve warrants, then sure. <laughs> but but again, just little ways that our language has been corrupted a little bit. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. 
So you, uh, you you said you could do a couple hours on the Book of Alma. I'm, I'm guessing you could do like 30 hours on the Book of Alma. Well, the the thing the thing that got me set off was a, the top headline on Zero Hedge this morning was um, essentially titled "The Best Way to Honor Sacrifice." And the reason this comes up is because it's Memorial Day today, and Memorial Day was essentially instituted in America. That gradually, after the Civil War, which is more appropriately called the War Between the States, okay, because it wasn't a war uh, inside of a state or a nation state. It was a war between nation states. That's the way the the free and independent states thought of themselves since the Declaration of Independence. They were, they thought they should and of a right ought to be free and independent states, nation states. That's the, what a state means. Unless you're talking about a state of confusion, which is kind of what <laughs> we live in today. But when the war between the states occurred, you know, many of our countrymen died. And after that, there were various forms of honoring the dead, the the men that fought, that that started to come about uh, in the South. It was it was prominent or prevalent that the slaves or the freed slaves would honor the Union soldiers that had fought for presumably ending slavery, which was one of the propaganda messages of why they should fight that war. It wasn't the reason for the war. It was one. It, this is propaganda, and a lot of people will debate this ad nauseum whether whether slavery slavery was a real cause of the war or not i don't think so i think it was about control and we've seen in other countries that slavery has ended peacefully so it it wasn't necessary for a war to be fought in order to end end the slavery in the south but yeah a lot has been made of that there's a lot of hollywood going on there and definitely slavery is not a good thing i'm not arguing that it's a good thing it's just that Freedom is better than slavery. <laughs> and so before the war... But, <laughs> Controversial take. Yeah. Freedom is better than slavery. You heard it here first. And, and this is what I mean by that, is that uh, before the war, we didn't have an American empire. An empire consists of a, a conquering nation or group of people that conquers other people and forces them to do their will and their bidding and, and pay taxes to them and everything. And so... Whereas before the war between the states, we had free and independent states that mostly managed their own affairs. After the war between the states, after the, quote, civil war, we had an empire. One group of people, the northern states, decided they didn't like what the southern states were doing. And so they, by force of arms and killing people, they brought them into their empire and forced them to do what they wanted against their will rather than letting them work it out in their own local regions, you know, let, letting them self-determine and, and fight their own civil wars, they came and forced the issue. And it wasn't about slavery. Remember, the Emancipation Proclamation, only f- Lincoln only freed the slaves in the South as a symbolic gesture to try to create slave rebellions. You know, it was an unsettled issue. So... The, the whole point was to to maintain 
the United States as a nation, they, there's this concept called manifest destiny where the many people, children of the founding fathers or from that generation, especially the political uh, people, they wanted to they felt that they had this destiny to take over the continent have and create seen, this great nation have you seen the famous piece of art called manifest destiny i can't remember who painted it but you basically got this countryside and leading a bunch of pioneer looking types is this angel this giant angel leading the people westward that's it right yeah that's it and that's it doesn't show all the Indians or Native Americans being swept off their lands and killed and everything. You know, it didn't have to be an issue about the lands. I think that there there are many Native American groups that demonstrated their ability to coexist with the the Northern yeah, European settlers. Ultimately, I think that the U.S. military at the time is is the biggest culprit in the mistreatment and the wipeout, the genocide of the the American Indian tribes. Because a lot of settlers were able to get along. I mean, the mountain men made do for a long time. And yeah, there were conflicts, but there were also conflicts between tribes too. There's this misnomer, and I think we've talked about this in like with the movie Avatar, how the, the American tribes were docile, uh, peaceful uh, people that just got along and everything was peace pipes and uh, you know campfire songs. And mm-hmm. that's just not true at all. They, there was a lot of intertribal wars, tribes that hated each other, and the, you know they were territorial. All, and this isn't unique to, to the American Indians. It's true of any, any civilization. There's been conflict. And I don't know why we try to whitewash that to make it all sound like they were simple, you know, docile well, things. In that, order to control people's minds, the narratives have to be simplified, right? Right, right. And, and they simplify the... the the other side too. And that's how you, how they get you to take a side so that you'll be willing to hate the other side and then go to war. Right. And that's one of the reasons I can't stand avatars because they dumb it down to make the white man bad, the blue man good. <laughs> right. When in reality and not, not avatar reality, but the reality of say the history of the American West, it's a lot more muddy than that. And there's uh, countless stories and, and interactions uh, that were good and positive. Of course, we don't hear about a lot of those. Well, yeah, the <clears throat> our our uh, media driven culture has done a good job focusing on the really negative side of that. And there was a, a very negative side of it. The white people did essentially um, take over. Right. And the the Native Americans either got pushed to the reservations or assimilated. There was a lot of assimilation going on. Some of it kind of coerced. A lot of it coerced, yeah. You know, we had the, the there was an Indian school in Brigham City. And up until a few years ago it still existed, at least the buildings. Hmm. Um and those were schools where they would take Indian kids, you know. We say Indian when we know we're using that term loosely, but Ute, Navajo, a lot of Navajos it would be put into the schools mm-hmm. and tried to be turned into white people, basically. And I think there's a lot of tragedy in the, Amer- the history of the American West, especially with the Native Americans. And especially, you know, now modern Native Americans are sort of marginalized and forgotten. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and like I said, a lot of people have, uh, like Elizabeth Warren, <laughs> have Native American ancestry. Okay, that's a joke. <laughs> She's the, the least, you know. But there are plenty of people who uh, have some Native American ancestry in their uh, family line. You know, it is a joke, though. You should know. You should be aware. Right? Uh, it is kind of a joke amongst the native peoples that when somebody comes to them and tells them that they have native ancestry, that it's always a prince or a princess. And so you don't ever want to tell a native person, this is just a word to the wise. You never want to tell a native person that you have native American ancestry and that it happens to be royalty because they will laugh you out of the building. And it's very common. And I, th- I've thought about that a lot. I think it's because, um, those were the, folks that kept the records mm-hmm. and so you generally don't know when it's just regular joe that you're descended from but you would you're th- telling th- me that my great 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 grandmother is not princess timpanogos in, in Timp- indian uh, princess <laughs> what what's the legend the, the legend was the uh, the the brave timpanac or was that the princess timpanac was pursuing Ukonogos. I don't know the story. We'll have to find it. There's a few versions out there. None of them are official. They're all sort of just local folklore. But Mm -hmm. uh, they make the, it's the legend of Timpanogos. I think it was even made into a play or a musical at one point. Yeah, the mountain range uh, down here in Utah County uh, is named for an Indian princess, theoretically. Well, the one mountain. The, the range is called the Wasatch Range. Okay, so it's not quite a range, but it's a lo- long mountain. It's, it's a supposed long, to depict her Mount Tipinogus, laying down. Yeah, Mount Tipinogus is a mountain that You're has right, it's not a range. several several peaks. That's um, what I meant. It's also one of the most prominent mountains in the in the American West. Prominent, and and I mean that like scientifically, like from bottom to top, it's very. Abrupt. <laughs> it's a very steep and abrupt well, well, mountain. If you're coming from the the west, you know, you're coming over the Ochres mm-hmm. or out of Tooele or uh, especially coming through, uh, what do we call it, uh, where Faust is, the Rush Valley? Yeah. The five Mile Pass? Yeah. Or even from the south of that, when you see Timpanogos, it is super prominent. Yeah. You know, it is like looming in the distance and, yeah. you know, Nebo is kind of like that too, a little bit. Right. Nebo from the east, like if you're coming down Spanish Fork Canyon, has some pretty cool views. From the, you're too close to Nebo when you come from the south on I-15. You don't even actually see the top of Nebo because you're too close to it. But down south, you can see it. Like if you're coming mm-hmm. up through uh, San Pete Valley, right? Or uh, yeah, San Pete Valley. Or if, if you're far enough south on I-15, You'll you see can kind of see it down there in Mar- uh, Nephi. Yeah. Speaking of. Speaking of Nephi. Yeah. We have some cool mountains. But anyway, the, that whole story, the real, the real story of America is, I think, important to try to disentangle from the, the legend or the accepted national propaganda. The, the history of Memorial Day, though, relates to that war between the states and memorial services and ceremonies that people would have to commemorate the fallen men that fought that war. And it has become in America over time, 
a day to remember our fallen servicemen, right? And so the thing that got me on this topic about war was this uh, this story that on Zero Hedge, it's titled The Best Way to Honor Sacrifice. And then on, on the website, bracingviews.com, uh, this W.J. Astor has titled it Memorial Day Weekend. And he says, he or she says, the best way to honor sacrifice is to seek an end to war and militarism. I was asked for a few words about Memorial Day. Here's what I came up with. On Memorial Day, we honor those who died in service of this country. Let us do everything we can as a people and a nation to stop war and all its brutality. A peaceful future without war and all its awfulness is the best way to honor our troops, even as we cherish the memory of the heroes who gave their all. And then he's linked to a two-minute clip where Andy Rooney does a little monologue on... 60 minutes about war. He served in World War II and he points out that, you know, we talk about how these young men gave their lives, but really they didn't give their lives. Their lives were taken from them by the war, by each other, Mm -hmm. you know, and it it makes a good point. Anyway, it just got me thinking because, um, you know, the book of Alma, it's really Alma. Alma is one of the most detailed elements of the narrative in the Book of Mormon. Definitely Helaman and 3rd Nephi are also very detailed. However, the, the, the elements in 3rd Nephi, or sorry, the elements in Helaman are surrounding uh, secret combinations. So a lot of it's unknown. A lot of what's going on is unknown. We don't know much about the the real drivers of cultural and political change amongst the Nephites and Lamanites in Helaman and third Nephi. But we do in Mosiah and in um, Alma. The book of Alma, you may be surprised. It's a, it's a long book, but it really only spans about 40 years. That, does that surprise anybody out there? Raise your hands if that surprises you. I feel like I'm going to teach gospel doctrine here or Sunday school. It's a, uh, does anybody would anybody like to share their favorite quote from the Book of Alma? Would anyone like to share their feelings on what the prophet, <laughs> President Spencer Benson Kimball, whatever <laughs> uh, Nelson Monson Hinckley well, said about I, I, the, I th- a quote from the Book of Mormon? The Book of Alma is an interesting. Well, l- let me rephrase that. The way that we approach the Book of Alma is kind of interesting because. It's, it's, like you said, there, it's a thick book. It's the biggest book in the Book of Mormon as far as volume. And a lot happens in a short period of time. And we, we get wars. You know, everyone knows about the war chapters, but nobody really knows about the war chapters, like, like maybe why they were included. And then, of course, you've got some great doctrine in there, some, some missionary tales, as we like to 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 spin them or to and, mm-hmm. and that's what they are you know great missionary uh, journeys there are <clears throat> but it it like why 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 would Mormons spend so much valuable space including mm-hmm. things about the wars yeah, and let, let me back you up there there are I believe essentially four main wars it starts with war and it ends with war. 
and then you've got the war chapters. Maybe you could consider like five or six different military mm-hmm. episodes because uh, it depends on how you how you cut this up. But um, you've got it, it, essentially three different missionary endeavors. You have Alma when he first goes out to teach the the churches. And then um, you have the mission to the Zoramites, or sorry, you have the mission of the sons of Mosiah to the Lamanites, and then you have the mission to the Zoramites. But the, the whole book starts right after Mosiah has instituted what we call the reign of the judges. So their whole political system had changed, and the first thing that happens is a guy named Amlicai tries to become the king. <laughs> and so there's a war between the Lamanites, the and the Nephites, the Lamanites who have joined with the Amlicites and um, the Nephites. And that's where they marked their foreheads with red. Mm-hmm. You know, That's the first thing that happens. Like the, the reign of the judges was instituted. It had been there for five minutes and they had a war over whether they needed a king. And then when we get to the big war, the war chapters, which is, spans about 10 years, towards the end of the book that's of course a war over whether they need a king and that's only uh 20 years into the reign of the judges when this occurs and so (laughs) as far as relates to american history i think the book of alma is definitely the most relevant for sure Uh, that and helaman well and i think i think mormon was trying to teach us some important things about war War. <laughs> war never changes. But no, I think I was trying to tell us that war never changes, and the reasons that they are fought don't really change, and the ways to avoid them don't really change either. I mean, <clears throat> you look at the, the, the Book of Alma, you've got, you've got some commentary on the morality of preemptive war. You've got self-defense defended. You've got liberty and freedom of speech and freedom of religion addressed in Alma and Helaman. You've got secret wars addressed, false flag attacks. Uh, these Cons- are all... This sounds like conspiracy theory. <laughs> these are all things that we have to... Is this a to, theory or... <laughs> I'm just say, stating the facts of, of the, the narrative. These things are all in the narrative. Yeah. The question is, what what do we do with these things? Do we just say, oh, this is cool. This is some cool war chapters. This is fun. This will get my teenager to read the book. <laughs> and it, or, doesn't, it doesn't really. <laughs> no. Or are we supposed to learn something from it and apply it to our political systems, our spiritual lives, our individuals? Well, I think we were supposed to have learned something from it. I think it's too late now. Well, right. Right, because we've gone over, we've gone over the edge. We're like a barrel in the river going over the edge of the waterfall. Oh, Niagara Falls, yeah. And we're mid-fall right now. We're we're the coyote holding the sign that says, "Oops." Yeah. <laughs> because I I I, I do think in it, it, in the sense of like, can we vote our way out of this or fix this? I think we're too late for that, to fix things within the political system that we have, within the social system that we have. Things have spiraled out of control. 
And I think the best remedies that you have that each of us have now are individual things, just shoring up your own individual uh, defenses, spiritual and physical. Well, uh, you kind of have to, you're going to, we're going to have to go through it, whatever it is that, that happens here. Let, let's set the stage though, because the, the big thing that, um, the big thing that sets the stage for the big war, right? The, the big war between Moroni and Amalekiah, and then later his brother Amaron, was the missions, the, the, the information, okay? This is the truth, right? This is the, the changing of perspective, the changing of cultures that was brought to the Lamanites and the Zoramites by first the sons of Mosiah and then Alma and the sons of Mosiah and his sons, that changed society. What have we experienced since the inception of the internet, Bobby Flood? Rapid change in society? Am I wrong there? Uh, it's been a more than rapid it's been like a completely i mean imagine like like we've we've mentioned this before right our mm-hmm. age demographic what are we called gen z gen x gen x that's right we're x don't confuse us with z yeah please <laughs> zoomers we're the only people on the planet that have a foot in both worlds we know how the internet works because we grew up with it but we also know what we life built was it. yeah we know what life was like before we remember Rotary, Rotary phones, Rotary phones and, and we remember writing down people's phone numbers. We remember... Television um, that's not on demand. Right. <laughs> Tuning in at uh, 6 o'clock on Wednesday night to see the latest episode of whatever. Right after you watched MASH. Yeah, that, that song. I have these distinct memories of that song. So there was... You would get home from school and there were kids' programs on after school, right? And you knew that they were done when the MASH theme song came on. The television programming was moving from after-school kids to, all right, dad's home from work. Let's let him unwind with some war comedy. Yeah, and then we'll tell you all about all the other wars going on. Right, and then you had the evening news. But yeah, that MASH... Sorry, that MASH theme song is like iconic for people our age. And of course, older because MASH, by then, you know, MASH was already an older TV show, but, um, and actually a pretty good show. Uh, as an adult, I've watched it here and there and it's pretty, pretty good show. Pretty, uh, well-written, it's hilarious. snappy and a it's commentary. It's kind of a liberal bent. Yeah, it had or, an uh, anti-war bent. Anti-war you know what? There are no more. There's no more political faction in the United States that is anti-war. Well, no official. It's everybody. It's all the people that are have been marginalized. You know, the people that have been kicked off of Twitter. The people that right, but they it's don't the majority though. They don't really have a coalition though. It used to be even like the libertarians were at least nominally anti-war, but most of them are at least the the you know the ones with voices. They're all war hawks now, and everybody seems both sides of the, the aisle. Celebrities like Alan Alda is he a war hawk now? Is he still alive? I don't even know if he's still alive. But you have, and we see this demonstrated in with this war in Ukraine that the United States is fi- fighting by proxy. You I know, think he's still alive? Eighty-seven years old, 
Alan Alda was, uh, who did he play in MASH? Hawkeye. Pierce. Ben- Benjamin Franklin Pierce. Mm-hmm. That, that was a great show. That was a fun show. <coughs> Where were we going? You said well, MASH. We're, 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 kind of, we're kind of like comparing and contrasting the book of Alma. And so I'm asserting to anyone that will listen out there, shouting into the wind. I'm not, not Bobby Flood on Twitter, but hey. to the few, the proud, the hey. listen, to the few, the proud, the listeners of the Mind Virus show, um, I'm postulating that uh, the mission to the Zoramites and the mission to the Lamanites is kind of a lot like the, the explosion of truth we've had or the explosion of information we've had because you get truth and lots of error in uh, the internet era since the mid-90s. We've, people have been able to dramatically reset the way they look at the world and it has created trade and inter- intercourse amongst people in ways that didn't previously exist. And that's the way it was before the Book of Alma, before the, the mission to the Lamanites. The Lamanites were mostly separate. They had some wars back and forth, but there wasn't a lot of trade and intercourse. When I say intercourse, what I mean is people working in- together, talking together, interacting. Yeah. Right. So that uh, aspect of the society was not uh, as developed before the mission as, as it became afterwards. It became quite a, uh, a big, important part of their society. And there were, there were large, the, the populations were getting larger and they were bumping into each other and so they were interacting a lot more. Well, the Zoramites had broken off from the Nephites and they also um, were a significant portion of the population and when Alma and his brethren went to teach them they essentially influenced the lower class of the Zoramites so essentially the slave class or the working class of the Zoramites was the most greatly affected by that and they left so in the case of in the case of the Lamanites, prior to that, all the people who wouldn't take up arms against their brethren, they, they became known as the anti-Nephi-Lehi's. They, they had adopted a, excuse me, they had adopted a worldview that was contradictory to, uh, in competition with their brethren who hated the, the Nephites. And so you remember the episode where they came in and just decided to kill them all? And they had covenanted. They buried their arms. Mm-hmm. Their, their they because well, they buried their weapons of war. Um, there's that whole episode where Ammon cuts off the arms of the right the Lamanites who were coming to steal the sheep. That's so. When you talk about arms in the Book of Alma, you got to be careful because the <laughs> the Ammon episode is the one that everybody remembers from being a kid. Because I wonder it's so what graphic. They, do you think they did bury those arms? Or did they like feed them to the dogs or something? I don't know. They brought them before the king. Yeah. They brought them before King Lamoni to show what had happened. But uh, the king desires. You remember the anti Nephi Lehi's. So so Lamoni was converted, then his father was converted, and then the the missionaries were able to travel through the whole land. The the sons of Mosiah were 
out doing their work and, and then it was sort of equal opportunity you know the the control mechanism had had relented and it, it was a open discussion the the see this is man i could write a book on the subject here okay <laughs> The narrative struggle, the struggle for who gets to tell the true narrative is one of the main, is perhaps the main point of conflict in the Book of Mormon. If you go back to... Or any conflict. Yeah, but that's why it's so important for us to see it, because the, the big issue between Nephi and Laman was that Nephi... Per- to be their ruler and their teacher, or he acted as their ruler and their teacher. And I would point out that ruling and teaching is always uh, linked in God's government, okay? The, 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 the true form of government. It's all about persuasion, meekness, gentleness, kindness, love unfeigned, and pure knowledge, which shall greatly enlarge the soul without hypocrisy and without guile. And long-suffering. Did I get, did I get long-suffering in there? Because you got to suffer. Longly. Longly, yeah. But that's Doctrine and Covenants section 121, right? So that's no power or influence can or ought to be maintained except in this manner. Persuasion, right? Coercion, gunpoint, taxation. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> right. Sorry, I was reading out of the U.S. government manual section 121. <laughs> okay. So, so you hear what I'm saying here is that you've right. got... You've got this struggle between the Lamanites and the Nephites over who gets to do that, who gets to have that role. And um, Well, I think an important point is in the case of the Book of Mormon, the good guys ended up telling the story. Because everyone who wins thinks that they're the good guys, right? We always are the good guys, yeah. But The I victors think, write the history books. I think we need to acknowledge that uh, the good guys one in the Book of Mormon, or at least told the story. They actually all lost. They lost, but they told the story because the record was hidden. They kept the record, and we have to accept, we do accept, if you accept the divinity of the Book of Mormon. Well, that's why it's absent. But that's why it's absent from the archaeological record is because they didn't win. Right. And you, we all accept that they were the good guys and that they're telling the truth in their account. Those are things that that come with accepting the the book. Well, I don't know if we even care about it anymore. We don't even talk about it anymore. The book? Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's some some truth to that, especially when you consider We don't want to talking, talk about what it's really saying. Talking about it in the sense of delving into it and expounding on the the lessons therein and the in the doctrine. There remember the the Lord put the church not vague churches, but the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormon Church, under condemnation in 1832 for what? It was, at the time, it was called the Church of Christ, but keep going. Right. Well, what were they put under condemnation for in 1832? This is uh, section 84 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Uh, they had basically ignored the Book of Mormon and were not acting in a manner consistent with having studied it and understood what had happened there. Right. Again, that's, and followed its precepts. That's 1832. Yeah. That's really early on in the in the church narrative, the church history. Yeah. And to my knowledge, and I could be wrong, that condemnation has never been lifted. Well, and this from is the why, group as a whole, maybe from individuals. But th- this is why people get excommunicated for apostasy. It's when, you know, from the church For ignoring the Book of Mormon? No, for for 
proposing a different narrative. Sure. That's that's the main reason you would get uh, excommunicated for, the, for apostasy would be for proposing some different set of ideas about what happened or what is going on. If you if you attack the narrative of the ruling class, you are the most threatening of well, that's why, threats. That's why Julian Assange is in jail. Yeah. He, he, he shattered the narrative, right? Same with uh, uh, Edward Snowden. The narrative was that the, the government was out there yeah. protecting and serving us, right? Yeah. When we actually found out they were spying on us, they were setting us up. Killing countless uh, innocent people in Iraq. And, and elsewhere. And everywhere else. And it, <clears throat> uh, Lying, cheating, stealing, everything that you're not supposed to do. And now you've got sort of that happening with uh, Matt Taibbi and the Elon Musk and the Twitter files. We're learning that the government is collaborating with big tech and big news to tell us the narrative we're supposed to hear. And see, I think this is, you know, now that um, Elon Musk has appointed uh, a globalist socialist status mm -hmm. and, and former NBC exec or what, what who was it? I don't remember all of her credentials, but she's the new CEO of Twitter. She's a WEF uh, acolyte. It's a little bit disappointing. Um, NBC Universal executive. Right. Deep ad industry ties. So the, <laughs> it looks like maybe we just had a little brief spot because the bad guys will tell you the truth for a minute. And if you're not smart enough to fin figure it out, then... I th that's some that has something to do with their ethic the, the ethic or the ethos of the secret combination is they have to push the truth they have to let the truth get out in some way and i wonder if the if the twitter files here was sort of a brief reprieve where it's like hey by the way here's the truth and now we're going to just run roughshod over the truth as we go to war mm -hmm. and propagandize and now you know it switches back to a propaganda mechanism well, and they could always come back and say we we told you guys and you did nothing about it i mean well, they could they could they could conceivably use that defense for all of the COVID. Yeah, but uh, it was all about censorship, right? The, the Twitter file revelations right. was all about censorship. And now what are they going to do when we go to war? They're going to censor everything. They'll censor everything. They'll propagandize everything. I mean, look at the, the narrative. The prevailing narrative for Ukraine is stand with Ukraine. Ukraine is being invaded by big, bad Russia. And it's only because Russia is big and bad and Putin is big and bad. <laughs> I wonder, I, I'm sure some of our listeners have, but how many people out there have ever read any of the speeches given recently by Vladimir Putin? Uh, they're pretty interesting. Yeah, my understanding is the guy's pretty moderate, and if they assassinate him, the next guy will, will nuke you. Right. I mean, like, they really want to get rid of him so that they can have their war. And I'm not... He's, he's, he may be the guy standing in between us and war right now. There's theories that one of the reasons Putin is made out to be the villain is because he, behind the scenes, is more uh, resistant to the agenda of the WEF and the UN and the globalist. There's also theories that he's all in on it and he's just playing his role. As the villain, um, I don't. And by know. the way, I don't. I don't think the guy's a good guy. I'm yeah, not, I don't know. I'm not trying I don't to say he's a good guy. I don't think so either. But I also don't know. But I do know that some of the speeches that he's given recently make a lot of sense. When whenever anybody wants to attack, you know the the 
character of Vladimir Putin, for example, I would say, hey, you know, fine, that's a sideshow. Go ahead and do that if you right. want. You know, you, you're calling him a madman or an evil man or whatever, but Hunter Biden, Joe Biden? I mean, <laughs> right. Let's, we got bigger fish to fry. We got Bill Clinton. <clears throat> Look, Vladimir the Putin. The Bushes. Vladimir Putin's been around long enough, and, and maybe people in Russia or people who are more familiar with that can, can chime in and, and to educate us. But he's been around long enough that we kind of know who and what he is. And it doesn't, from my faraway seat, way up high in the grandstands, he doesn't appear to me to be a madman or uh, someone who's actively seeking war because I think he's had ample opportunity to do that. Again, I could be completely wrong. But on the flip side, like is there any more is there anyone more hungry for war than the current American regime and I count the media in that. The neocons, the the, the, the neocons, the hawks. Yeah, Bush Clinton, you have like Victoria Newland is a name that comes up. She's she's been yeah. She's been itching for, for war between U.S. and Russia via Ukraine for a long time. Yeah. And now they have that, and of course it could and probably will escalate. The question is, are we headed towards a, a fallout future? Well, we, yeah. We, the, you're, you're, you're asking the question about nuclear uh, arms, nuclear weapons being deployed, right? Yeah, or just just a war big enough the, that since just the game series is called Fallout. <laughs> yeah, war. Yeah, yeah. The the whole premise is that it's you you're living in a post nuke uh, okay. America, and in each game kind of takes place in a different part of America. Mm. Well, well, going back to Alma, you know, I think there are huge similarities in the explosion of information and the change, the rapid change in their cultures. And one of the things that occurred that destabilized the whole situation was that the anti-Nephi-Lehi's and the underclass of the Zoramites both moved over to the Nephites. They, they migrated to uh, a place in the Book of Mormon called the land Jershon. Mm -hmm. This was the land that the Nephites had given the anti-Nephi-Lehi's and the Zoramite underclass for their inheritance for their culture to live, their, their, their society to, to move to and to, to farm and to grow and develop and whatever, live there, right? Well, it's interesting because both Zarahemna, he's the guy that got scalped mm -hmm. in Alma chapter 45, both him and um, Amalekiah attack the land Jershon. So you can read between the lines here that the because the Lamanites and the Zoramites had to be persuaded to go to war. They were war-weary. Every time they come after the Nephites, they get wrecked. Right. They, got, they got destroyed because the Nephites were fairly well-organized, and they, and they were I think fairly, that's where the American people are right now. We're war-weary. Well, yeah, but look, at it's been going on for years. The, the, the wars have been going on for years, and so— The ones in Iraq and Afghanistan? <laughs> 20 years. <laughs> What what you see here is that the people of the Lamanites and the Zoramites didn't want to go to war, especially after Zarahemna got defeated there mm -hmm. near the river, right? Yeah, and that was that a big, was the scalping episode. That was a big upset win, right? Zarahemna was a powerful leader; his army was powerful, and 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 uh, Moroni prayed 
he got he got Alma to pray to figure out where he should take the armies, and so they met them at the river, and they were able to surprise them and destroy them and surround them and all that stuff. And so that was that was a very short explanation of what happened, and it was a very short war because right there the leader was um, killed in right. dramatic fashion. Right. Right. There's a few stories like that in the Book of Mormon. Yeah. You have Tiancum sneaking into the tent. Killing the leader on New Year's Day, but that was still part of the part of an extended war narrative, right? right? Because he got he got uh, Amalekiah that way, and then Amaron takes over, and then he re- he makes a repeat appearance and tries to kill Amaron. Spoiler alert: it doesn't end well for Tiancum. Yeah, Tiancum was a is a fun character. Like, yeah. You kind of picture him as a, this sort of special ops. Like we need to, yeah, we type. need to go through his backstory at some point, right? We need to right. develop that and figure out right. who this guy really is, because he was a, he was a serious, uh, brave um, assassin. Assassin, yeah. But he, you know, maybe that's where the phrase uh, "discretion is the better part of valor" comes from, because right. he was not as discreet as he should have been the second time, right? And who knows and, how many other who knows how valorous, how many excuse. other missions he partook? You know, yeah, that's just the stuff that got recorded. But there's some pretty there's some significance in him killing the king on New Year's, and I don't remember the details on that. But it's a prompt for our listeners to go. Okay, research that. give us give us some uh, comments on that in, on the Mind Virus Show website, mindvirus.show on the web. We'd love to hear your thoughts on all of this. Anyway. Getting again, getting back into the Book of Alma here. Um, it was only a couple of years before the King Men, right? Amalekiah is the big name; he's the big bad guy, right? And and Amalekiah uh, comes on the scene in Alma chapter forty six, I believe. I believe it's forty five. Let me just pull up the the notes here. Um, it was. Uh, Alma chapter 44 was when Zarahemna gets scalped. So I was off by one chapter. Then chapter 45 uh, through 62 is considered... um, the war chapters. And this is where Alma leaves the scene and we have Helaman wrapping up the narrative for his father. So this is Helaman, the son of Alma. This It's kind of interesting how that happens in the Book of Mormon. Sometimes you'll get the son of the the guy who the book is named for finishing the book, like we see we saw with Moroni mm-hmm. finishing Mormon's record. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, um, the King Men episode starts in chapter 46. Amalekiah conspires to be king, and Moroni raises the title of liberty and rallies the people. There's right. an information war, an info war, if you will. King men versus the free men. Right? Yeah, the, the, that's what happens in Alma chapter 46, uh, an information war. And um, Amalekiah comes just a couple of years after... Let's see. Yeah, it's it's like two years after Zarahemna is scalped, okay? But here's the part that we miss in Alma chapter 45. It says that um, at the very end of the chapter, it says that Helaman and his brethren had been appointed priests, or, or sorry, let me go back a little bit. Because of the wars, this is verse 21 of chapter 45, because of the wars with the Lamanites and their many dissensions and disturbances, 
it was expedient that the word of God should be declared among them, yea, and that a regulation should be made throughout the church. Now, when we say church, don't think of it like a church like an institution, an or institutional church. This is more a, a group of people, right? And they recognize the believers, and they definitely recognized Alma as high priest, but they mm-hmm. had other priests and other mm-hmm. other. Uh, stratus, uh, strata of organization, structures of organization throughout the land. Okay, so, so it was important for Helaman to go out and make it regular to 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 help um, help the people to be more stable by going out and uh, working with them. Right. So it says, therefore, Helaman and his brethren went forth to establish the church again in all the land. So to establish the structure or establish the... They did what Paul was doing. The regular thing, you know, the regular understanding. Okay. Right. This is kind of like Paul's missions in, in the New Testament. It's also very similar to uh, Alma in chapters right. uh, 5 through 16, where he goes through the land and he, he, he runs into, he, he gives different discourses to different cities, and then he runs into Amalek. Uh, Amulek and Ammonihah, and there's a lot more talked about there because it was pretty controversial mm-hmm. what happened there. So um, it says, they went and established the church again in all the land, in every city throughout all the land which was possessed by the people of Nephi. And it came to pass that they did appoint priests and teachers throughout all the land over all the churches. Okay, so now we have a plural churches there, so it's pretty clear we're talking about groups of people, right? Ecclesias. And now it came to pass that after Helaman and his brethren had appointed priests and teachers over the churches, that there arose a dissension among them. And they would not give heed to the words of Helaman and his brethren. But they grew proud, being lifted up in their hearts because of their exceedingly great riches. Therefore, they grew rich in their own eyes and would not give heed to their words to walk uprightly before God. Now, that is the preface to the war chapters. It's the chapter before the end of it. It's the, it's the thing that prefaces it, that Helaman and his brethren had appointed priests and teachers throughout all the land. Now, Bobby Flood, were there previously priests and teachers in the land? Um, I don't know. We know that from the record that there were. Right. So he displaced the existing the existing governing structure with new people that were going to de- declare the word of God, yeah. perhaps. So, and then it says in chapter 46, verse one, and it came to, and there was a chapter break there. So if you were a kid reading this, you would go to sleep and forget about <laughs> everything you read. And then you would read this new and you wouldn't understand why it says... And it came to pass that as many as would not hearken to the words of Helaman and his brethren were gathered together against their brethren. So and let's the, interpret that. That means the people that disagreed with what Helaman was doing banded together, conspired together against Helaman. Is that right? Read that again. Right. It says that those that wouldn't hearken to his words and Helaman's brethren's words were gathered together against their brethren. These are the Nephites. Okay. There's an internal power struggle. So now you've got factions forming. So it's a struggle over, again, remember, who gets to say the narrative? Who gets mm-hmm. to tell what truth is? Who gets to rule? Who rule, gets, to, who gets de- to rule and teach? Declare the word of God. Yeah, and declare uh, what's right and wrong in society, right? Because listen, it's very clear. They were wroth. They were determined to slay them. And the leader of them was a very large man, and he was very wroth, and blah, I'm kind of paraphrasing, a strong man. His name was a Amalekiah. Now, Amalekiah was desirous to be a king, and those people who were wroth were... So these are the people that were angry, because why? Because Helaman had made a regulation among the church, right? He had gone out and appointed priests and teachers, okay? That's the part that was cut off because of our chapter well, I think break. 
go back to but listen 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 they were wroth and they were desirous that Amalekai should be their king and they were the greater part of them the lower judges of the land they were seeking for power right and their power was under threat because of Helaman is that not perfectly clear right I mean it's perfectly ambiguous if you don't link it together and try to understand what's going on here. But anyway, go ahead. I kind of well, no. You go off. back to where they said they need to make a regulation, and he said something about declaring the word of God. I think it was in the previous chapter. It became expedient that the word of God should be declared among them, and that a regulation should be made throughout the church. Okay, so this was all done to declare the word of God. So it sounds like maybe there needed to be some corrective doctrine taught. Go teach the pure doctrine, the, the correct doctrine, to help these people maybe not be so wroth. I love yeah. that word. Maybe cure or, or get rid of some of this warmongering that was stirring people up to anger. Well, that's exactly what it said. Because of their wars with the Lamanites and the many little dissensions and disturbances that had been had among the people, it was expedient that the word of God should be declared among them. We see that so sterilely because of how it's done in our institution. Mm -hmm. I so, mean, so today we have a war weary people. We have a war thirsty uh, government and government apparatuses like the media and the, all the various agencies, et cetera, et cetera. Can the word of God be taught to them in a way that would change their minds and hearts, turn them away from their wrathful, attitudes well that's one reason i thought this this article by uh this person astor <clears throat> wj astor was so significant the best way to honor sacrifice of these fighting men is to seek to end war and militarism right that's like the word of god isn't it i mean that's essentially what jesus taught i don't know if i saw a bumper sticker that said this or just a thought that i had but you you don't see them as much anymore, but you used to see the bumper stickers that would say, support our troops. I always thought, or maybe again, I saw this, and so I'm, it's planted in my head, but support our troops, and then the line underneath it, support our troops, bring them home. Bring them home. That, like, you, that's the best way I know to support yeah. them, is to get them, out of, yeah. get them out of the wars. Peace and honest friendship with all nations and entangling alliances with none. This is George Washington. It goes all the way back. Now, it doesn't mean, we, we, we can learn a lot from the war chapters in the Book of Mormon because Moroni didn't just lay down and die. No, you, you know? defend yourself. You defend yourself, but you defend yourself and your family. You don't go... Under the, under the conditions of laid out in the title of liberty, yeah, right? You don't go over there and antagonize them to want to nuke you. Right. It's like, you, you can't walk up to somebody on the street and antagonize them, threaten to kill them, uh, and then when they pull a gun on you, you shoot them and say it's self-defense. Yeah, that's not... Yeah, if you've taken a concealed carry <clears throat> class or looked at the laws in any state, you can't be the guy that starts the argument. Right. And, and then come away clean. But... And, th and this has uh, been part of the, the slide in morality of America is that we... You know, nations have long been held to that same standard. It's not... I think it was since the Treaty of Westphalia, which was in the late 1400s, that the, the nations of uh, Europe, who were largely led by familial ties, mm -hmm. and they were warring with each other, they decided that there would be some level of rationale that they would follow before they 
engaged in these wars. And one of them was that you had to have an eminent threat. You can't, <laughs> you couldn't be just right usurping each other's territory for no good reason. You needed to have an eminent threat. And so and that was that was one of the areas or one of the episodes in history where our modern rationale for war comes from. And it's the same uh, legal rationale a person who might uh, engage in self-defense would need to follow. You have, uh, you can't start the conflict. Um, you can't escalate it either. Yeah. Even if you're not the instigator, you, you are required by law to try to de-escalate. Uh, are you? It depends on the state you live in. Uh, well, yeah, I, I'm talking about here in Utah. I believe you, you should try it. You're, you should try to make it. And again, the circumstances are always different, right? But uh, something that could be resolved verbally or by de-escalating, meaning just disengaging, walking away, that, that's a reasonable action to take before you just pull out your concealed weapon and shoot the person. Mm-hmm. Because you have to be an imminent threat. You or somebody else has to be an imminent danger. And that's why if you take one of these classes, if you end up in a shooting situation, you, it is important that you, that you tell people, that you tell the police, that you tell your attorney, I feared for my life or the life of the other person involved. Like, like if, when I say other person, I mean, let's say you come across somebody being mugged or robbed or something like that. Yeah. Deadly force is only justified in order to, uh, avert seriously serious bodily injury or death. Right. right. So as an to individual, you or somebody else, an, in, an individual, you can't start the fight and you have to, uh, there has to be the threat of uh, death or serious injury to you or somebody that you can actually affect, mm-hmm. or you pre- or preventing the commission of a forcible felony. Okay, right. and um, you have to reasonably believe that that your your use of deadly force was necessary to prevent that, either to yourself or 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 a third person that's that's around you. And that the- and but but here's the rest of the the rest of the story is that. Um, the main uh, determinant factor here is what they call imminent threat. There has to be an imminent threat. And there are three factors that make the legal basis for an imminent threat. And these are the three factors that used to be applicable for centuries to nations mm-hmm. also. Mm-hmm. And that is ability, opportunity, and jeopardy. You know, I, we've talked about this before probably on the podcast. You know, I've got a knife here. You know, that's not that's, a knife. That's a that's not a knife. That's ability, right? You you have now you have the knife. Now you have the ability. Um, we have opportunity, both of us here. Now I'm feeling threatened because you opened it. You're you're sitting across the <laughs> table from me. You're close enough. You could you could stab me with that knife. That means you have the opportunity. I'm but, putting the knife on the table. Okay, now the third... Sliding it across back <laughs> to Jordan. Carefully. Bruno. Closed. Now, now the, closed. <laughs> now the, the third point is jeopardy. You have to actually be in jeopardy. That means that, you know, Bobby Flood has to be 
gesticulating wildly or acting like he's on drugs or or yeah, so threat, just, he has to be like literally threatening me with the knife you can't just be you can't just shoot somebody because they have a gun and they're sitting next to you right so in this scenario you handed me the knife i opened it so maybe two of the three conditions were met mm-hmm. but there was no jeopardy you yeah. didn't feel in danger nor did i when you pulled it out now if suddenly your demeanor changed and you became wrathful <laughs> i might have to throw this table at you and run away <laughs> or the table right up, yeah <laughs> <laughs> find a find find a weapon of uh, opportunity because he's got a knife. Well, yeah. So ability, opportunity, and jeopardy; those are the three main issues at stake. And I kid you not, in two thousand two, right after nine eleven, the United States of America changed its national security policy, and they they literally said we must um how did they put it? We have to revise our view of the age-old ability or the age-old definition of eminent threat Mm -hmm. and modify it uh, to take into account the capabilities and objectives of our enemies. They took the jeopardy part out of the equation and they just said, we're just going to go based on ability and opportunity. And and they they turned videos of guys... going across monkey bars into imminent threat. But they literally, yeah, they literally changed the definition of imminent threat in 2002 in the National Security uh, Strategy memos. And they very deliberately did that. And so now, you know, what this this equates to is like uh, some crazy guy in the neighborhood who's down on the corner with uh, he's been seen with a gun before you know and um now you you we're going to go out and we're going to kill him because so and so said that he had a gun and was waving it he doesn't we're just going to go down there and shoot him no matter what you know we don't right. have to see that he has it a gun even, we don't have to be in jeopardy it's not even it has to be a crazy guy it could be just a regular well, guy that says hey i went i took my rifle to the range last week and shot some rounds through well, this it. is the thing the guy, let's let's call him Fred. He's standing on the corner, and we don't know Fred. But there's this uh, third-party intermedia. Let's say there's three of them. We'll call them NBC, CBS, <laughs> and ABC. Okay. okay. Just to use... Yeah, just random. Random yeah. letters just to identify these three mm-hmm. people. Well, let's call them as a group. We'll call them media. Okay. They tell us that Fred is crazy, violent, vindictive that he's he's been seen with a gun before and that Mm -hmm. we need to get rid of him to make the neighborhood safer so we're taking their word for it that he that we're in jeopardy because of right that's how bad it is right well remember george bush said we gotta we're gonna have to fight him over there or else we're gonna have to fight him over here which was such a stupid statement you're either with us or you're with the terrorists (laughs) right right and we, we, you know, U.S. foreign policy now is preemptive war, preemptive strikes, which uh, the Book of Mormon has something to say about. I don't remember the chapter and verse. That's, that's your wheelhouse. Well, I'll tell you that, because <clears throat> this is part of our story here. Amalekiah conspires to be, to be the king. Moroni raises the title of liberty, which is great. And everybody remembers Captain Moroni, and everybody uses Captain Moroni as our justification to go to war. I did. I wanted to nuke... 
Iran, Iraq into a glass parking lot because right. of Captain Moroni, because he's virtuous and we're a war, warring people because of Captain Moroni. Right. Not so. Uh, literally, Moroni, or sorry, Mormon, again, the most underappreciated character in the Book of Mormon, he, uh, he said that Moroni was a man of perfect understanding, mm-hmm. right? So this is our scholar, prophet, seer. He named his son after he Captain Moroni. He names his Moroni. son after Captain Moroni. He literally does. And, um, Which means he, he knew a lot more about him than uh, even we do. He had a lot more of these records. Maybe we'll get those someday. Yeah, he said that if all men were to act like Captain Moroni, that the very powers of hell would be shaken forever. Right. He's a man of perfect understanding. And so what we see with Moroni is that he wages an info war, and then when Amalekiah flees to the Lamanites, he doesn't pursue. He does not. He, he's the man that had every justification for preemptive war, which... That's why they changed the national security strategy after 9-11 is because they wanted to be able to fight preemptive wars. And I'm telling you what. Undeclared. Russia and China don't, this is not lost on Russia and China. They understand that. They understand that the game has changed since 9-11. We could be preemptively warred against using our own rationale and they will claim to be righteous for it, right? They will, they will be able to claim that it's, it's reasonable moral behavior because that's what America has been doing for the last 20 years, right. 22 years. Well, we, we turned the war in Iraq and Afghanistan into defensive wars because of 9-11. We said, oh, we're, we're, re- we're responding to this. And they were not. Iraq, Afghanistan were preemptive wars. Right. And right. We've, been tr- we've been trying, itching so hard to get into a war with I- Iran ever since then, and they've been able to avoid that. Our, our armies are surrounding them. We're ready right. for it. Same with Russia. You know, we've right. been, since 2013, 14, we've been itching for a war with Russia. We've well, been we, really hard to get into and we it. We kind of have that now. We're just, right now, it's just Ukraine is the, the, the man in the middle getting destroyed. All right. The backstory is lost on, uh, on most of the American public because of the media, mm-hmm. because of the propaganda media. So, so anyway, you've got Moroni man of perfect understanding he does not engage in a preemptive war he heads the army off he won't let he won't let Amalekiah steal all the military equipment the f-16s the you know the fighter jets the unless he the just left a whole carriers. bunch of them in afghanistan the, the helicopters yeah he's not going to let them have all the stuff <laughs> instead on our, we're giving it to them <laughs> we're we're sending it over we're sending them money and and weapons um so the next chapter, you get the Amalekiah. It's called defensive aid. <laughs> that was the term the news used. Remember that? The U.S. has sent uh, 50, defensive 50 bajillion de- in defensive aid to Ukraine. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, so so the, the story continues, and this is the last part that I want to talk about here. The... The McConkie summary of chapter 47 says this, Amalekiah uses treachery, murder, and intrigue to become the king of the Lamanites. More appropriately, it should say that he used treachery, deceit, murder, and a false flag terrorist attack to become the king of the Lamanites. Because what he does is he flees over to the Lamanites. He flatters the king. 
he he tries to get them to go to war, but the Lamanites are war weary. But he flatters the king into letting him take control of the army. The problem was that this other high-ranking Lamanite, I think his name is, um, is it Antipas? Antipas. No, that's the mountain that they go to. Um, Let's see. They fled to a place called Oneida. So the the Lamanites um Oh, Lahanti. Of course. I I'm forgetting the guy's name. Lahanti was the guy that was the main general for the Lamanites, right? And the king's going to give him Alakiah control of the army, but Lahanti flees with the main bulk of the army, which is a problem because they can't go fight the Nephites without the army. And and they fled to this place called Oneida and then to the top of a mountain they call Antipas. And um, Amalekiah, being a very cunning and deceitful, smart you know, villain or whatever, he's able to trick Lahanti into bringing the army down from the mountain by offering to be second in command. Now this seems with with hindsight and all the all the uh war and spy narrative that we have, you know, all all of the true crime stuff, you should you should really be careful if you uh are in any sort of a hierarchical hierarchical situation. If you're the top, if you're at the top of the food chain, <laughs> like a drug lord or the leader of an army or a president or whatever, you could be looked at as disposable by number two. Right. Say like, say you're Ronald Reagan. (laughs) And, you know, it's the tradition amongst the Americans that when the president dies or, you know, is sick, that number two, who's the vice president, takes command. Right. It's just, it's pretty, it's, it seems but, like, according to the Book of Mormon, it's something that's happened. To find, there's no examples in history of a son killing his king father, though. That doesn't happen. <laughs> and you're alluding to? Oh, dozens of examples? <laughs> Hundreds? It's the plot of many movies. Um, right. Or, or a, brother, I mean, it, a brother killing a brother. Right. Uh, <clears throat> that happens in, in ether, right? Doesn't the son kill the king father? Repeatedly. <laughs> right. <laughs> so anyway, second in command uh, traditionally takes control when first in command dies. And so Amalekiah somehow convinced Lehanti. Maybe he wasn't a very smart guy. I don't know. Maybe Amalekiah was just that persuasive. Maybe he was as persuasive as Fox News or MSNBC or insert your favorite propaganda. Fair and balanced. Um. So Amalekai is playing both sides of the aisle here. He's a rhino Republican. He's a, he's, I don't know. He's a Biden Democrat. I don't know what he is. He's, he's playing both sides and they definitely didn't have the internet. So Lahante wasn't able to inform the King of his activities via email or anything like that. And he sent a runner. He could have sent a runner, but um, like Kish Kuman. <laughs> a, a story for another day. <clears throat> so 
Amalekiah has essentially a criminal syndicate. He has servants. He has a, mm-hmm. a secret combination. That's the ba- the basis of one. And uh, he poisons Lahanti by degrees and takes control of the army. And as is custom amongst the um, Lamanites, when he brings the army back to the city, the king comes out to greet him, and he has his servants go before and stab the king. And of course, they blame it on the servants of the king. Right. There's your false flag terrorist attack. Right. False flag, meaning they blamed it on somebody else. And of course, the servants of the king fled to the land Jershon, interestingly enough, which is where Amalekiah attacks first. And um, this is where we see how uh, human, human behavior factors into these massive movements of society. Um, this happened with COVID. It's always fear. It happened on uh, 9-11. It happened on Pearl Harbor Day. You got to p- make the people really scared and you get them to take action. And once they've taken action, it's hard to back out of it, right? Because the mechanisms of government, the machinery is moving and all the money is moving against you. And so you get t- people to take action based on fear and pretty much the game is over. So you got to think there were a few of the Lamanite warriors who were scratching their heads after Amalekiah gave the George Bush speech. You're either with us or you're with the terrorists. If you love your king, if you love your country, you'll go after those terrorists, the servants of the king, and any nation that harbors them, mm-hmm. the land Jershon, the Nephites, and the Lamanites uh, chased the servants of the king, and there had to have been a couple of those guys who said, you know, what would, what would a Lamanite warrior's name be? <laughs> like, uh, you know what? Uh, Lamoni? Lamoni? I was going to say Lamonti. Lamonti and Lemuel? <clears throat> I don't, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I've reviewed the, the transcript, but... Why would the servants, why would the servants of the king kill, kill the king? Like, right? Why would they do it there? Why wouldn't they do it in the palace? Why would they do it right when we were about to capture them? You know, it doesn't make any... Right. Doesn't make any sense. Oh, how Lamonti's those... knock it off with your conspiracy. There's get off of YouTube, Lamonti. <laughs> get off of that Twitters. We've we've shown we've we've uh, linked to before the the stormtroopers talking about the Death Star and um, mm-hmm. how it, <laughs> it was right. an inside job or right. something like right. a, a ragtag group of. I've I've looked at the technical readouts. There's no way that Death Star could be destroyed by. <laughs> One, <laughs> one, one fighter, and, fighter. Yeah, um, it, it, we're always chasing after that Luke Skywalker in the rebellion. I don't even know if it exists. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's always that way. It's not. It's the it's the normal reality. It's not. It's, truth is stranger than fiction, right? It's not. It's not the fictional reality that we're dealing with. We're always dealing with this, with conspiracy and uh, murder, war, false flag terrorist attack, deceit. I mean, yeah, it's all that's the ways, how you get people to go to war. It's storytelling. It's all the ways that we're manipulated through storytelling. Right, and, and, and Amalekiah kills the king, and he goes back, and he marries the queen, and he becomes the king, and, and it says that, as soon as he obtained the kingdom, this is the first part of chapter 48, 
He began to inspire the hearts of the Lamanites against the people of Nephi. Yea, he did appoint men to speak unto the Lamanites from their towers against the Nephites. ABC, CBS, NBC, MSNBC, Two minutes Fox of hate. News, uh, NPR, right. all of it. Right. It's all Pravda. It's all propaganda. We gotta get a, We gotta get out in front of those Nephites, or they're gonna kill us over here. We better kill them over there they've before been, they kill us over here. They've been lying about us for centuries. They claim the right to rule, but really that belonged to our forefathers. Our you know? We're the ones Layman. that have the true story, right? And this shows Nephi up. murdered Laban and stole his property, and then he stole the birthright. Like there, there's. Plenty of ammunition and propaganda they could have used. They could have twisted, right? Listen to this. This is Amaron, later on, Amaron speaking to Moroni, trying to exchange prisoners. Remember the, the exchange of letters? Yeah. I am Amaron, king of the Lamanites. I am the brother of Amalekiah, whom ye have murdered. Remember Tiancum, mm-hmm. right? I will avenge his blood upon you. Yea, I will come upon you with my armies, for I fear not your threatenings. For behold, your fathers did wrong their brethren, insomuch that they did rob them of their right to the government, which when it rightly belonged to them. And now behold, if you will lay down your arms and subject yourselves to be governed, right? It doesn't say slaves, but we get to tell the narrative. We get to be in charge of this. Governed by those to whom the government doth rightly belong, then I will cause my people shall lay down their weapons and will no more be at war. Now, you could, you could argue that he's lying there. Right, right. But, I mean, think about it. Human resource is important, you know. <laughs> they might actually let you go along with them if you believe them. The Nephites would do that. They'd say, hey, if, you, if you'll covenant to never come to war with us and just follow our, kind of our MO, our... You, customs, then we'll let you go. If you move, send your kids to these schools and move on to these reservations, we'll yeah. never bother you again. In fact, we'll send you checks every month. Right. Just he, don't be involved in, in, in our society in any way. He goes on, he goes on and he says, um, you know, I'm not going to fall um, victim to your threatenings, but I will exchange prisoners of war if you want, because then we can wage a war which will be eternal to your extinction. Will it'll it'll either will either subject the Nephites to our authority, or it will extinct it will cause their eternal extinction. And then it says, and as concerning that God whom you say we have rejected. Because remember, there's this com- is still Amaron's letter. This right? is Amaron. There, there's competing religious traditions here. It's not like Amaron's without God. He's right. just he just doesn't believe in the true Redeemer God, the the Jesus Christ. That uh, remember, this is before the Lord had even come. Mm-hmm. The, there there were different competing religious traditions. So I don't I don't think he was not religious. He says, "We don't know that being, neither do you. But if it so be that there is such a being." We know not, but that he hath made us just as well as you. And if it so be that there is a devil and a hell, behold, will he not send you there to dwell with my brother whom ye murdered, <laughs> whom you hinted that he hath gone to such a place? Behold, these things matter not. So real quick, that's really important. That's a really important reveal here because that was the whole point of the Ammonihah episode with Alma and Amulek is they were they came to the... Ammonihaites, and they were trying to explain to them, look, what you do here in this world matters because there is a death and there is a hell and right. there is a, an afterlife. And you guys and your gods or your whatever your tradition is, you just don't, you don't understand the narrative 
of the cosmos of the of the war between the gods of light and the the gods of darkness you know he says at the end i am amaron a descendant a descendant of zoram whom your fathers pressed and brought out of jerusalem right there's they your narrative co- they coerced him out of there they coerced him it's a, kidnapped it's a, him they changed the story that's that's the story he grew up with like we didn't want to leave jerusalem I'm a bold Lamanite. Behold, this war hath been waged to avenge their wrongs and maintain and to obtain their rights to the government. I close my epistle to Moroni. He yeah. states they lay out the rationale for their actions. Right. And it's he does it very well. He does it very well. And that's the that's the story he grew up with. That's the story his father and his grandfather grew up with. It's what persuaded the Lamanites to go kill their brother in the Nephites. It's what persuaded. It's the story that Laman and Lemuel told themselves yeah. in the moment. And, and they justified, were the, and in their mind, justified trying to kill Nephi. They were the older brothers. Right. And, and you know what? For all intents and purposes, they thought they were following the laws of Moses, the statutes and judgments. They thought the Jews at Jerusalem were righteous right? for following those Legal, we can't be destroyed. Legal. We are a righteous yeah. people. You can't destroy this great city, Jerusalem. Right. We're doing what you want, God. Right. Why are you destroying us? Right. We're following, we're okay. checking all the boxes. That same narrative pers- persisted for a thousand years until they ended up just uh, annihilating each other. Until there was nobody except for Mormon and Moroni left. Well, the Lamanites won. Yeah, they, they did narr- win. Their narrative won. Well, their swords won, at least. Well, yeah, but I mean, they're... Okay. <laughs> but <laughs> right. they're, they prevailed with all of their culture. Right, until the Nephites were wiped out. And then it devolved into whatever it became, you know? And until there's Moroni wandering for 30 years, telling us, I, I've been shown you. I see you. <laughs> I've, been, I've seen your day. Jesus Christ has shown you unto me. And I know you're doing and I think one of the reasons we, you know, if you zoom out, Mormon and Moroni, Mormon kept these war chapters in there to demonstrate how the narrative destroyed his people and how what happens when you engage in unchecked preemptive warfare. You mm-hmm. end up being annihilated. I think so. And so it's interesting that he would... Tell us, I'm, I'm writing this to you guys specifically, and also I'm including all of these stories about this civilization that could have thrived, but didn't, and ended up annihilated. Well, and you have the overt war of words between Amalekiah and Moroni, and Amaron and Moroni, and you have the overt war between those two groups. And remember, it's just the, the, the that's caused by the Nephites themselves, and right. factions amongst the Nephites who want control. And um, then you get the secret combinations creeping in, right. which is the same type of thing, just more underground, you know, right. more surreptitious, careful, uh, evil, sneaky. Right. Why, what are the words I'm looking for there, Bobby Flood? Come on. Um, evil, sneaky, <laughs> underground. Uh, it's... it's, it's um, it's sort of a secret society, mafia-style crime syndicate is what you've got going on. And the messaging is, if, if, you, if you go back to um, 
what we talked about earlier. They, because of their wars, they felt it expedient to preach the word of God. Clandestine, covert, furtive, right, fraudulent, hidden, skulking. So you undercover, underhanded. The messaging here is: if you reject the word of God and embrace warfare and aggressive uh, warmongering, you reject the word of God. Embrace this warmongering lifestyle, you will be annihilated because that's ultimately what happens. I mean, the Lord comes, right? He comes later, and there is peace for 150 years, something yeah, like that. a couple hundred years. And then they reverted back to rejecting the word of God, rejecting the traditions of the fathers. They, mm-hmm. they rewrote that narrative, and that, he, that never came. We didn't see it. Remember that, you know, the grand, great grandkids are like, uh, our grandparents say they might have saw that, but we didn't. It's not been made known to us. That's a common def- kind of uh, argument, right, mm-hmm. that, that is made in the Book of Mormon. You, you claim this, but it's not made known unto us. Well, and another thing we see in the Book of Mormon is the cycles, right? Like, right. Which is what you're describing. Right. So it's, not an, it's the same thing that you're talking about, but it's a cyclical but It's not just pride, though, of, right? Of we of talk society. about the pride cycle a lot, but that's not the only cycle. It's, That's a it's, mislabeling of what's going on in the Book of Mormon. It right. is literally the fourth turning. It's the, the cycle of, of rejecting the Word of God and embracing, uh, embracing the secret combination, mm-hmm. embracing warfare, embracing mm-hmm. the state, the status sort of, na- embracing the wrong narrative. Right, and it happens because uh, <clears throat> the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren of the the people who had to work out the last conflict have no understanding, no firsthand understanding of it, and they won't study history, and they're easily swayed by false narratives. Well, you're talking about us now, right? It's a cycle. It's, pro- <laughs> it's a pattern, right? It's it a is a cycle, and itself. if the Book of Mormon took place here in the New World, whether you're a Heartlander or a South American or Central American, doesn't really matter. We're the same people. <laughs> Yeah. And that cycle still exists. Human nature has not changed. It's, it has existed throughout all societies. Right. And, you know, the, there have been varying degrees of truth that have been given to different societies. You know, we, when you, ca- you come from the LDS background and you want to think in terms of institutional church, but that's not how God's looking at it. He's giving... Uh, to quote Alma chapter 29 here, he says, you know, oh, that I were an angel, da, 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 and could shake the earth. He says, behold, I'm a man, I sin and I wish I ought to be content with the things which the Lord hath allotted unto me. I ought not harrow up in my desires the firm degree of a just God, for I know that he granteth unto men according to their desire, whether it be unto death or life. He decrees unto them decrees which are unalterable, etc., etc. He says, good and evil have become before Good and evil have come before all men. He that knoweth not good from evil is blameless, but he that knoweth good and evil to him it is given according to his desires. You know? And, and he goes on and he says, The Lord grants unto all nations of their own nation and tongue to teach his word, yea, and wisdom, all that he seeth fit that they should have. That's what I was looking for. Eight verses down. God gives to all people what he sees fit for them mm-hmm. to have to test their essence, to see who they really are as, as they uh, struggle between good and evil, which we right. know is the, the whole purpose of this existence. And um, 
hence that cycle repeats. You don't have to have LDS missionaries out in a land in order to say the word of God was preached. The word mm-hmm. of God is truth. Right. Right. Well, this has been a good discussion. Okay. I can see that we've gone on long enough. We are war weary <laughs> on the podcast. <clears throat> no, it has been a good discussion. Lots of food for thought. If there's ever a nation ripe for destruction, I fear it is us today. <laughs> I mean, we are we are a weak uh, nation full of weak people. And I know I'm speaking collectively and not individually. <laughs> there are people out there who are strong and who are fighting the good fight. But as a whole, uh, I, I worry for our our future. <laughs> One more scripture. Okay. I'll let you uh, close us out with this, uh, this verse that, you've, uh, that you're going to read to us. Let's see if I can find it. <clears throat> oh, I found the chapter. Okay, it's Doctrine and Covenants section 112, verse 23. We probably have quoted this before. And this is the Lord to Joseph. Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, darkness covereth the earth. So we're not, it's not just America. It's pretty bad in America. Because right. we're supposed to be the bastion of truth and light, right? This is, when is this, Joseph? This was uh, 1837. Darkness covereth the earth, and gross darkness, the minds of the people. And all flesh has become corrupt before my face. Behold, vengeance cometh speedily upon the inhabitants of the earth, a day of wrath, a day of burning, a day of desolation, of weeping, of mourning, of lamentations. And as a whirlwind it shall come upon the face, all the face of the earth, saith the Lord. And upon my house shall it begin, and from my house shall it go forth, saith the Lord. First among those among you, saith the Lord, who have professed to know my name, and have not known me, and have blasphemed against me in the midst of my house, saith the Lord. It's a little ominous, you know. Who, is, who are his people? Who, who profess to have known his name? Is it, is it the Western Christianity? Is it the Catholics? Is it the Protestants? Is it the Mormons? You know, the, is it the LDS? Is it uh, the Kirtland Saints? Is it the, the Missouri Saints? That's 18th. 37, right, as Joseph's leaving Kirtland. Is it, uh, could be Christianity, you know? Of course, the prophecy on war, uh, where I think it's DNC 87, where he says, Verily thus saith the Lord concerning the wars that will shortly come to pass. This was given in 1832, beginning at the rebellion of South Carolina. (laughs) It's pretty prophetic, Mm -hmm. you know. It says that the time will come that war will be poured out upon all nations beginning at this place. So we've seen that, a pattern of war starting with the war between the states. Not that wars haven't characterize the history of the world, but right. for the purposes of the Lord to Joseph Smith, it talks about that the the southern states will be divided against the northern states, and the southern states will call upon other nations, and then war will be poured out upon all nations, and it will come to pass after many days that the slaves shall rise up against their masters, who shall be marshaled and disciplined for war. Well, I would 
put forth the idea that that sort of manifests itself a little bit in the in the war between the states, the civil war. But it could mean it could be talking about it us. It could be have multiple meanings. Well, who's the, who are the slaves and who are the masters, really? Right. Really. I mean, right. those of you out there listening, do you not sometimes feel that you're a slave to the system? They do look at it that way, and we've tried to point that out. That the secret combination that rules us views us as a herd to be harvested, managed, culled, and managed (laughs) according to their policies, according to their programs. And we've seen that, especially since COVID, that they feel they can uh, assert that kind of control. And they do, via fear, right? It's all via mind control. Gross darkness covers the minds of the people. Anyway, it says, this is my final thought, Mr. Flood. I'll stop reading the scriptures here. And well, thus, well, don't do that. And thus, with the sword and by bloodshed, the inhabitants of the earth shall mourn, and with famine and plague and earthquake and the thunder of heaven and the fierce vivid lightning also shall the inhabitants of the earth be made to feel the wrath and indignation and chastening hand of an almighty God until the consumption decreed hath made and hath made a full end of all nations. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody.